Welcome to Running Off the Rails. I'm Ariel Rasco. And I'm Raymond O'Connor. And on this episode, we're going to talk about how to get your player involved in the DMing. It's a question of when should you not DM? And I think this is a really interesting question for me because my favorite moments at the table have been where I have said absolutely nothing for at least 20 or 30 minutes even. And I want to try to show you how you can have those experiences and just be sitting back and proud that your players are engaging with your world in a way that they might not normally do. So, Ray, have you had any kind of experiences where either as a player or as a DM, the DM wasn't really doing much, but you were still having a lot of fun? Yeah, so I think this happens most frequently when you have players that are dungeon masters. And it is natural for them to describe things that are well within the purview of their character. The smallest example that I could give that is probably already happening at your table is if you have a wizard, when when it's their turn and they're saying what they do in their turn of combat, and they're describing their spells and what color the fire that they're creating is and what they're doing with their spellcasting components. Or if you have a fighter and they're talking about how yeah, I run up to this guard over here and I smash his head with like the hilt of my sword. And then with my extra attack, I follow through and draw the blade and slash through the other guy. If you're if your players are already doing this, they're kind of like dabbling in this sphere already. They are taking the lead in describing what is happening in this world within the purview of their character. Yeah, I think combat, this happens really naturally. And if you're a DM and maybe you're controlling the enemies and it's, you know, five turns between the enemy's turn, if your players are really involved in what their combat looks like, you're going to spend, you know, a few minutes sitting back and your players are going to be describing all these cool things that you talked about, like the hilt of their sword or exactly how they use their extra attack or what their spiritual weapon looks like. These things in combat might happen all the time, but outside of combat, I think some players also really take on this role. You know, some players might ask, I want to roll a sleight of hand, I want to steal something. Another player might say, I'm going to tiptoe behind him and open my wallet to, you know, check to see how much money I have in one hand to distract them and steal the thing in the other hand. In this case, your player is narrating. They're saying, how does this look? How does this sound? That's normally what the DM does. I love those moments. It makes me feel as a DM that my players are actively engaged in the world that I'm building, but also in our play, in our experience. It's not just like me making them have fun, it's them creating fun for themselves. Those are such rewarding moments for me as a DM. So I try to create those moments too. I've played in games with Ray where he's been the DM and I've played in games where I've been the DM. And I've noticed we both kind of do this thing where we'll turn to the player and we'll ask them a question. Like, what does that look like? How did this go? And I think those can be really fun moments for the players. They get to take the initiative, even if they wouldn't on their own, because they're not the type of player to take space, take up space in the game. You're now giving them the space. So like, Ray, do you have any uh, examples of moments or situations where as a DM, you can really effectively do that? I think that ability checks are an obvious place um, 
where where you can give your players that space, particularly because you don't want to impose your perception of what their character looks like onto their character. So if their character has a very, if in their mind, they're, when they're doing a performance check, maybe maybe your player is actually a musician and that's why they decided to play a bard. If you're not a musician, you're probably going to give a less impressive description of what playing their instrument looks like than they are capable of. Maybe that player is also brand new. So all of this is is new to them and that's like nerve wracking for them. And they're already trying to remember enough things without being put on the spot and needing to improvise without having had a lot of examples. So I would preface this conversation with, you can do this with new players who seem really into this idea, but uh, I would be careful about pressuring new players, all new players into this. But I think skill checks are a great place to give your players space, particularly when they have expertise in real life that you don't have that informs their character. Combat's a great place to do it. And when they are describing things about their backstory that's another great place to do it yeah i have another one that i like and that's when casting spells because i think spells are magic and there isn't just like one way that magic can look and it's already outside of the norm so if a character is doing some magical effect like i want to know what it looks like to them in their head sometimes if i think that the characters will enjoy a really wild description of a new spell and I have a good idea for it, I'll come up with a description. But more often than not, I like to ask my players, like, what does this spell look like to you? And give them space to create and describe. There, there's one spell in particular where, which I think is a obvious choice. Lots of players will take it if you're playing high-level D&D, uh, and it's the seventh-level spell that allows you to create a magical mansion. Maybe your player will already be inspired by this, but if they're not, if the first time they cast it, they use it to, you know, create a safe space for them and the party, go up to them and say, like, what do you think should be in your mansion? And give them, a, you know, a week or until their next session to come up with something interesting. And then the next time the players walk in, now you have the person casting the spell that gets to maybe talk for like 10 or 20 minutes if they want about like all the cool things in their mansion. I think that's a great spell for this. I think there are lots of spells that give you creativity like this. Major Illusion is an awesome one. Anytime there's magic anywhere in your game, you can really give your players space to create and play and do improv. But Ray also talked about their backstory, and I think this is a place where I get to push the dials a little bit further. I get to give my player a whole lot of creative freedom to create a whole town. So I had the idea that I pitched to Ray, where if somebody comes to their own hometown, I want to give them the reins. I want, if we say, okay, we're coming to this new town and it's one of the players from my campaign's hometown, I'm going to like shut up for the next 10 minutes and let them describe everything that's in it and then let them really create what's going on. And Ray liked this idea in principle, but he think he warned me about it in practice. Yeah, I think that works if your player is a DM or has DM blood in them. So it requires a certain level of initiative and buy-in from that player to, to give them the reins. This is something that needs to be prepared, typically, unless your player has experience with kind of like improvisational storytelling. Not all players want to do that. Some players 
want to show up to the table and they want their commitment to the game outside of being present at the table to be minimal. And that's okay. Like that's not the type of player that I am. And I've had players who are very much kind of like player DMs in that they have created these elaborate places and they they, they work with they work with me and they they're like, oh, can this place exist in the world? And it, that's awesome because now their character can speak about things and places and people that now actually exist in the world, but not all players want to do that. The players in my group that I'm running out of the abyss for, they are definitely more the type of player where they have busy lives and they do not want Dungeons and Dragons to take up even more time in their lives. Like the, the commitment that they sit down to play at the table is already a sizable time commitment and they, they are not able to commit more or perhaps it just doesn't get them excited. I would not put this pressure on them based on kind of the other things I've asked from them in the past and kind of what they've been willing to to give me and what they've kind of like shied away from providing. Okay, but I love this thing. It's So I'm going to try to pitch it in a way that even if you have players that might not naturally want to do this, that maybe, hopefully, they will want to. Ray might still disagree, but my idea is if certainly if you have any player that has talked to you about their backstory and has been excited about it, that this could really work with them. Even if they're not the kind of player that takes a bunch of notes. If they come up to you and they're excited about their backstory, I think they might want to tell you about it at the table too, not just in session zero. So what I'll do with a player like that is before the session, I'll say, hey, we're probably gonna come close to your hometown. If we go up there, are you comfortable like preparing a few descriptions about it? And that way they have some space to either tell me no or to plan ahead in advance. And then when we get to that town, the same way that I don't plan every single NPC in that town, there's no way this character or this my friend at the table is going to prepare every single NPC. If the characters ask to go see a blacksmith, I'm going to ask my player, hey, what is the blacksmith like at your hometown? Who are they going to go see? And then now they get to improv. So they got to plan some stuff out in advance. And also they get to do the improv that I as a DM normally do in my sessions. Normally in my sessions, if the players ask to go, they need to get incense. And I don't know who the general store owner is for that town. Uh, or I don't know who the spices seller is for that town. I'll just make it up in improv. I want to give that same experience to my players and let them DM and let them create and engage with the world and do fun things. So that's kind of how I give them space to say no, space to plan ahead, and also space to improv. What do you think? I think that if your players are down to do that and they're excited to do that and they're excited to put the the considerable time investment in ahead of the session to, to do that work and that forethought, then that's great. That I mean, I can think of no more kind of like collaborative storytelling experience the game that I'm a player in, I think that every single other player at the table would be down to do that. The, that's kind of the the style of the game that we're all bought into and we kind of bounce off of each other. Yeah, that's a really good point. You talk about style of a game. I think that you can probably tell like which games this fits in just based on how your like general style is. I think that Dungeons and Dragons in general 
actually doesn't lend itself so much to this style of tabletop role-playing game. That doesn't mean that you can't inject it into your game, nor does that mean that you shouldn't, because I tend to agree with you, Ariel. I think some of the most magical moments at the table are when the players are bringing their slice of the world to life through the lens of the way that their character has experienced the world, mostly because for the sort of some of the the first times in the game, you're getting subjective information because the DM typically is giving the players objective information or objective information with an asterisk over it that says like, you think fill in the blank because of the insight check that you got. Whereas when a player is describing their memories, their backstory, what happened to them for that character, they might not be telling the truth, but if they're telling the truth, that is what happened to them through their lens. It isn't objective. It's inherently subjective. The villain of their memory might not be the villain of the campaign based on the other perspectives at the table. Yeah, this is so important to me as a DM. When you talked about players' memory of things and what they think, it's not objective, comes up in my game so often where somebody will ask me, hey, Ariel, what does my character know about this? And because what they understand is that their character is a real citizen of the world that I have built. They would probably have heard of like the major events that have gone on and the really important people that are in the world. And so a lot of times they ask me, what does my character think? If there's ever a moment where I can give them that information in advance, such that now at the table, we don't pause so that I tell them their own perspective, which I'm going to try to make like skewed. I'm not going to try to give them an objective. I'm going to try to give them like, oh, your player thinks this because like this is your bias in the world. If I can like stop those moments where I have to interrupt the table and the general conversation to tell players what they know, if I can do that in advance, I think it's a really awesome experience. And this is another example of when a player that I was working with was really invested in the world and in like taking notes. So this is maybe not going to work, but I sent this person a summary of the events that were going to be relevant in the next session from a perspective that they might be familiar with. So I wouldn't tell them everything, but I'd tell them what their character might know about a lot of different things. And I sent them that like a week or two weeks in advance of the session. They internalized it. Like they read it and read it and internalized it. And then at the table, they weren't reading from my handout. They were just flowing naturally with all this information. It's as if they asked me, hey, Ariel, what do I know about this? And I gave them an answer. It's as if that conversation happened, but it never had to happen at the table. It happened over a direct message. So those moments where the flow is just realistic and normal and you don't have to pause to have the dm tell the players what they already know that is my goal that's my dream for how i can not dm i dm in advance over direct message and then i don't dm at the table i think that that is so fun yeah i think that's a magical moment for the other players where where they like they're like what like is all this real are you is he allowed to make up all this stuff (laughs) Yeah, is he allowed to say that? I've heard that 
I've literally heard that at the table. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, the first scene of Harmon Quest where they're like trying to figure it out, and the rogue, like, he's like, he's like, what do you want to do? I run to the top of the castle, and a dragon is coming, and everyone at the table is like, is he allowed to do that? And they're like, no, you're not. You're not allowed to do that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love. And then also just kind of like carving out a space of the world if you're if you're kind of like about to start a campaign. You could kind of be like, yeah, carve out this slice of the world and give me the events that had happened up until you left. And then from there, I'll impose like what hap- has happened since then. And that's that's where the intrigue comes in, where it's like you remember who the king was when you left 10 years ago. But a lot of things have been happening since then. But you built on everything they gave you for the backstory. I think that that's a great and magical way to collaborate on storytelling. Yeah, what you're pointing to is kind of this question of like, how do you introduce lore in your games? Like that's, I think, a little bit what you're talking about there when you let individual players carve these things out. You want lore to show up at your table. You don't want lore to be something that gets written down and never used. As every DM, you you want the stories and the history of your world to be relevant. These moments where the other players are telling the lore and the DM is not telling the lore, the DM is just being the eyes and ears and acting out the PCs, but the lore is coming from the other players through their backstory or through a session that you guys had one-on-one. I think that is a dream come true for everybody, but mostly the DM. Like, I want my lore to show up at the games, and when the other players are the ones telling the lore, that's going to happen in the most dramatic way possible. It's going to be surprising. It's going to happen at the table. It's not somebody reading off of a piece of paper I sent them. So that's why these moments are more fulfilling to me than a more classic D&D where the DM is describing everything. That's why I find these moments even better. I think a great tester, if you're listening to this and you're like, ah, I'm not really sure if this fits for my group, even as myself having this conversation right now with Ariel, I'm I'm wondering if I'm like kind of stepping all over my players. Like maybe they want to, but maybe they want a more collaborative storytelling experience, but like maybe I haven't been trusting enough with them to kind of give them the reins. I wonder if they feel like I'm kind of like stepping over them uh, with like the descriptions that I do, but I'll figure that out after this, po- <laughs> this podcast. I mean, I think you're selling yourself short. I know firsthand many stories of your players taking tons of initiative in your game so i I think you might be selling yourself a bit short they have done some pretty interesting things (laughs) Um, but a great way to kind of like test whether or not your players have an interest in doing this is ask them to carve out their backstories their flaws their ideals all the typical things that would go on a, a character sheet and ask them to come up with why they are that way and then let those characters have conversation moments while they're long resting so kind of just be like hey you and you are on the first watch what are you guys talking about and just ask them to role play together for like an amount of time and if they if they love it and they kind of like feed off of each other and it keeps it starts gathering momentum and they start sharing details about each other's past with one another that other characters at the table don't know about that is a good that's a good indicator that your players are going to be into kind of like this next level collaboration of storytelling and some players are going to be like 
the weather was nice today, wasn't it? And the other character's going to be like, yep. And that's totally okay, too. That means they're there for the other things that Dungeons & Dragons has to offer, and that's totally fine. Yeah, I think that's a particularly great example because you're giving players a chance to create um, knowledge that is not shared among everybody. I think that's a really great tool. I will point out, however, Ray and I have purposefully avoided talking about the situation that comes up the most when you're a DM and you don't talk for 45 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half or two hours. Uh, And it's when you put a challenge in front of your players uh, that they know is coming and then they have a, a long rest or two nights or a week to prepare for it. And then they sit around the table planning and planning and planning. I think this is the situation that comes up 90% of the time when I'm sitting at the table and not DMing. And most of the time, I think it's really, really fun. I love seeing my players engage with my world, like I've talked about. And planning for your how you're going to beat the villain is uh, a way for your players to take agency and get creative and engage with the world. So I'm super, super for giving players space to plan. But I didn't bring it up before because I think it might be the most common time where I as DM actually just interrupt my players. And I say, okay, I'm done not DMing. It's my turn now. So I was wondering if you've had that experience too. Definitely. And I think it happens most often when the players are not actually role-playing. So the the players are speaking either with a character voice or they're saying Isotar feels and then they like fill in the blank. And it's a it's the players disagreeing with each other through their characters. I don't think your plan is good. We should do this instead. And then like it keeps going around in circles and they're not making forward progress. And just because they're still talking to each other and neither player is backing down because they think they're right does not mean that the table is having fun. Exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. You said it perfectly. It's like, it's like when your players are just repeating themselves, that's kind of when I step in. It it means that your players can't come to a conclusion on their own for whatever reason. It happens a lot. They, you know, feel invested. So they like keep trying to find the solution that works for them and they can't find it. So they're going in circles and repeating themselves. And at that point, I'll just try to introduce something that usually not pushes them in one direction and like forces them to choose one option, but just tries to like change. Like it's it's almost like there's a cup of uh, ice water and you're trying to drink the water, but like the ice is all just like sitting stuck and you need to like just jostle it. You just need to like give it a little shove to get everything to start moving again. If your players are talking for more than 20 minutes or if you hear your players repeating themselves, I would ask myself the question like, would it help if I changed the stakes? Would it help if I give a new wrinkle to this situation? And now what you're doing is you're not sitting back, you're taking up space as the DM, you're interrupting the situation to add drama. So it's it's a good way of interrupting. You're adding drama. You're not taking away player agency. You're giving them a different situation where they still have the same amount of agency. So that's what I like to do. Um, one of the ways that I have done that is introduce a new ally that has some new information. So they see somebody that is now in town and they have an agenda for why they're in town, but they're an ally so they can help with this specific problem. Or I'll bring in an enemy. And now there's a new enemy like, oh, the villain called in for backup. Okay, so now everything has changed. Now we're not fighting one wizard. We're fighting two wizards. Or we're fighting a wizard and a minotaur. 
Now the situation has changed. They need to come up with like a new plan. Hopefully that gets them to stop repeating themselves and come up with a different option. I like the idea of kind of just inserting something into the plan. And then sometimes even a combat is, I know I, it's the go-to, but I had a situation where my players were in a forest and they were just like arguing over which way to go for maybe like 15 minutes. And I was like, okay, here's three displacer beasts. You guys are going to fight them. You're going to kill them. And then right after they finished killing them, it was almost like the conversation that they were having never happened. They just picked a direction and they went in that direction, which was awesome. It was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. If you... It, sometimes it becomes less about what the players should do and it becomes about winning the argument which like is natural i think for a lot of people who play dungeons and dragons like maybe like the type of person who plays dungeons and dragons like you you get it in your head that like we should do this based on the information that we have and the other person feels differently and a lot of the times they don't have complete information and I, but what I mean by that is obviously they don't have omniscience, but sometimes one player remembers one detail that you like dropped a session ago that's informing one argument and the other players remembering something else that is something that the other players forgotten and it's informing what they think they should do. Or maybe one of them misheard something that you said. So they feel very strongly that the other person's idea is bad and you just need to kind of like insert yourself and clarify the situation. If you ever hear a player say something as fact that is a misrepresentation of something you said earlier or like a miscommunication, clear that up right away. There's no no good ever comes from a player thinking you said one thing when you said another thing. Yeah, I, I was going to say like, oh yeah, I'll do that 99 times out of 100, I'll correct them, if, but it's really 100 times out of 100. If I said something deliberately and they misunderstood it not in character but they just misunderstood it uh, i'll correct them because that is not fun to be in a situation where they feel lied to i'm but i i think you're being very charitable i think sometimes i have just been in a situation where i didn't want to admit i was wrong and so i like kept the argument going and repeating myself and i am certainly better at not doing that than i was you know a year ago or two years ago or five years ago but sometimes it happens where somebody just you know, gets stuck and doesn't want to admit that the the group shouldn't do this thing. And and so just, yeah, putting in a combat so people kind of forget about it. I, I really like that idea. Yeah, it gives everyone permission to just walk away from the argument and make it a small combat because you don't want to waste people's time. They absolutely murdered those displacer beasts. It took them like 10 minutes. <laughs> just eviscerated them. It was... It was horrible. <laughs> Have you had any situations where your players planned for like over an hour and it was fun and good? Like, is this or do you kind of always talk to them or try to like move things along before like that hour mark? I don't know. I think that the, the amount of time that can go into planning is proportional to the stakes, but also like how many elements are at play if someone's planning a heist of a house you shouldn't really let your players spend more than 20 minutes planning because how much is that extra planning going to change the outcome not much at all which means that in the grand scheme of things it's a waste of time especially if no one's having a good time at the table when and by what I mean, yeah and what i mean by that is like people laughing and smiling <laughs> if no one's laughing and smiling for 25 minutes that means your players are not having fun yeah i don't think it's a hard and fast rule about time that raised that you're talking about ray 
I think it's closer to the idea of like what you might think of as totally fine and good natured. It's not what they're there for. Uh, planning is absolutely something that your players are there for, but they're also there for other things. Pacing is really important as a DM. And so when most of your session becomes about planning and when most of your session becomes like not you know, interacting with objects and interacting with characters, interacting with the world, eventually it's going to be less fun. It's not a hard and fast rule. Your your players might just love planning and really don't repeat themselves and work through problems in long form ways. But I think overall, just remember that fun is really evident and you can see it. And if people are like engaged, but they're not having a great time, it might be worth just like moving things along from a pacing perspective, even if they're not angry about it. it I think it will make your session better. One metric that you could use to measure the productivity of planning is how many decisions are being made. If five minutes have passed and the players haven't made a decision about like a piece of the plan, that's a bad sign. But like your players could spend two hours planning the infiltration of a city and then like getting through the city streets without being recognized and then breaking into a wizard tower and like what the heck is it maybe they have the floor plans of the wizard tower so now they're like specking out exactly where they think the glyphs of warding are going to be how many dispel magics do we have like how many more do we need do we need to go and get like six dispel magic scrolls because we don't have enough dispel magic scrolls who can uh, look at magic or um, detect magic and how many how many times are we going to be able to have that up which of these spells are concentration spells like if they're making decisions boom 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 there's just like a ton of decisions that need to be made they could be planning for two hours but that's forward progress right like they're they are making their way through this elaborate plan quickly they aren't still an hour later talking about like what the best way to get past the city wall is right and i think that's very cool because in some sense that is collaborative storytelling it is creating the narrative because as they're telling you all these different pieces of your plan and, and while you're planning, you can think about, oh, this is the next step. This is the next step. They're making progress. They're actually creating the, the future for you. You get to think about, oh, how am I going to respond to this as a DM? Is that going to work great? Like, what might my NPCs do? So it is this collaborative storytelling that gets everyone engaged. And I think planning is a tough place for that to happen, but it can be a really great way for that to happen. But also some of these other things we've talked about, just like, uh, on an ability check, asking your player, well, can I make a perception check? Like, well, what are you doing to try to perceive this? I, I want to make an investigation check. Well, what are you doing to investigate this scenario? Just those moments of creative, collaborative, progressing of the narrative are just as important as the planning ones And I, in terms of creating a setting for your players where everyone is getting involved and engaging. So I think there's all kinds of ways to sit back and not really take as active of a role in, as a DM just so that your players can be more active. It's not a zero-sum game, but I do want you to think of it for these kind of experiments as a little bit of a give and take. You know, the more you are taking up as a DM, the less a creative space you're giving to your players in, in some sense. It's definitely not a zero-sum game. I think that's correct. I would have less fun as a player playing as my artificer if I didn't get to describe how all my kind of like magical tech work. So I think the, the moral of the story here is Give your players more and more oxygen. Be transparent about the opportunity to have more oxygen and see what they kind of do with it and 
just keep evolving. And then before you know it, one of your players is DMing. <laughs> if you're a forever DM, that exercise of planning a town and planning the people in the town and uh, who the villain of their backstory is, before you know it, that player has written an entire adventure just to fill out their backstory and you won't have to DM next time. Yeah, that's like half the goal is turning your players into DMs, I feel like. I, at least I get a lot of pride when it happens. We need more of you. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're desperate. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in. I hope that some of this can really transform your game to be more of a group effort in some ways. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ariel Rasco. And I'm Raymond O'Connor. And thanks for listening to Running Off the Rails. If you enjoyed Running Off the Rails, please like, follow, and review our show on your platform of choice. Please follow our Instagram, Running Off the Rails, for notifications whenever we release a blog post, a new episode, or new content on the DMs Guild. If you prefer a specific type of content, please send us a message on Instagram. The jam you are listening to is Hoist by Andy G. Cohen, and you can find Hoist and more of Cohen's music on the Free Music Archive. You can find links to all of our content at runningofftherails.com or on our Facebook page, Running Off the Rails. 